0: Hey everyone, this is Pastor Steven. I wanted to thank you for checking out our podcast and we hope that this message encourages you and helps you in your pursuit to live for Christ with everything you have. We hope you enjoy the message. But if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've started up our series called the Family Sitcom Series. Because we all know that family struggles are hard, and I've said it for the last several weeks, too often our lives look like a sitcom that we would watch just for our entertainment pleasure, right? You ever just imagine, like, how did I get up into this mess? Why is this happening? Man, if I had a million dollars, if I could just write this script out, and they'd put it on the TV, man, I'd be so lucky. But that's how life is. And I know many of you would understand that that, that, that's exactly how it always occurs. I know some of you guys might be more seasoned. Brother Jack, he always tells me, I don't watch anything but gunsmoke. So I'm like, okay, so the only kind of family dramas you imagine, Brother Jack, are westerns. And he says, no. See, Jack, I love you. So you're, you're getting it here. But the truth is, we are all products of what we take in. And sometimes what we take in just reminds us of the reality that we live in. Talking with several people throughout the years... <laughs> One thing that is constant that I keep hearing and I'm never able to get over is that fact that people are becoming discouraged. They're becoming discouraged because they've noticed a a, a new trend hitting up in our society that's not really new. It just keeps getting progressively worse. This trend is, where are people on Sundays? You see, Back in the 50s and the 60s, sometimes in the 70s, you could guarantee that on Sundays, whoever was in that household was never in their household, but they were in the house of the Lord. There, there, there was that trend where, where, where it didn't matter. The stores were closed. The gas station was closed down. The McDonald's, if it was even a thing at that time, was not opened Because people had a priority that was set in place and it was, was, was reinforced throughout the generations that said, I don't care what we're doing. We're going to go worship the Lord. And something happened in the 70s and then the 80s and then the 90s and it continues on to today where, where we get around and I can tell you where if I'm driving around a neighborhood picking up teenagers like we do on Sundays, I can figure 90% of the people that I see They're out there either doing lawn work. They're out there getting ready to go for their Sunday brunch little meal thing. But they're everywhere else but trying to get to church. And it's a sad thing when we really think about it. I mean, Youngstown, Ohio, according to Brother Chip, as I was listening to his story, because if you don't realize it, I listen intently. I don't always talk back but I let it come into me and let let it process. But he was telling me that Youngstown, Ohio was one of those cities that used to always have the churches the priority. And then something happened and changed. And what he told me he thought was the, the change is something that's indicative of human nature. It was the pursuit of happiness. And a lot of people on this world think the pursuit of happiness Is found in a in a thing that's green and white that we carry on us most of the time if you're young or if you're older If you're newer you have no clue what I'm talking about Because all you see is plastic or iPhone wireless connectivity stuff. What I'm talking about is people think the pursuit of happiness is money And that's furthest from the truth. I Have learned that I had plenty and I was miserable I learned when I had a little, I was actually the most joyful. And it's a weird oxymoron if you think about it. I don't understand that, the dynamics of that aspect, but I do trust that God is up to something, and he's trying to remind us of a truth. You see, today's generation, which I will include myself because I am 40 something I know, don't kill me. I was at breakfast yesterday, and I said, you know, I'm the youngest one at the table. And they were like, yeah, the, the other one that's closest to my age. He's like, yeah, but just by barely anything. And I was laughing, but I was like, yeah. But I processed it. I said, you know, I, I grew up just like many others in my generation and the ones after, where we learn things, not too often from our parents, but from a screen. I grew up Saturday mornings watching cartoons. I grew up Friday nights watching TV. I grew up Monday through Friday getting home from school, and the first thing I would do would turn on the TV. And I would watch shows like, I can't say, because you would want to kick me out of the church. But let's say it was a talk show that people did some really stupid stuff on, and they started yelling one guy's name, Jerry, all the time, and I didn't know what to come up with. See, you guys are talking already. Please don't kick me out of the church already. If you're watching online, you've probably already articulated in your mind where I'm going with it. But I can remember growing up watching the TV shows and, 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 and I still felt like I was missing something. I would watch TV shows and then I would think about how I would react with my parents when I got into trouble. You ever show up late sometimes and think how your parents were going to react when you were growing up? What about getting caught doing something you were not supposed to? You see, we all understand that our decisions will have consequences, but we often play it out. And there's one TV show that kind of brings it back to me because I grew up with it, and it still makes me laugh to this day. But it deals with a father dealing with his son. You'll look at the screens this morning.
1: Come on, Eddie, I'm hungry. Give me a sandwich. (laughs) No, Waldo, I can't. Hey, wait a minute. Why are we whispering? I'm late. Don't you have a curfew? Nah, I'm lucky. My parents don't care about me. (laughs) What about you, Waldo? You got a curfew? No. But I had a hamster once. Uh, hi, Dad. Sorry we woke you. We've been hanging out down here since 10.58. Oh, really? Yeah. No, we weren't. We just got here. <laughs> Thank you, Waldo. No problem, Bob. <laughs> You're in big trouble, mister. Major trouble. Um, um, excuse me, but in Edwards' defense, Mr. Winslow, it's my fault that he violated his curfew. Oh? See, he completely lost track of time watching me moon meter maids. <laughs> Say goodnight to your little friends, Edward. I'll be over on the couch making out your will. Good night, Dad. Wrong. Edward, son, your curfew is 11 o'clock. Not 11.30, not 11.45, and certainly not 12.22. Oh, come on, Dad. I'm a senior in high school. An 11 o'clock curfew is ridiculous. Well, maybe you're right. Let's say we change it to 10.30. Come on, Dad, I gotta have a social life. Social life? You call mooning meter maids a social life? I didn't do that. I would never do a thing like that. I I just find it hilarious watching other people do it. Well, Edward, it is completely inappropriate behavior, and I don't want you associated with it in any way. Now, go to your room, young man. You treat me like a little kid, Dad, and you embarrass me in front of my friends. Oh, well, pardon me. I'm sorry that I embarrassed you in front of a guy named Weasel. (laughs) A guy who flashes his fanny at feminine law enforcement officers.
0: Guys, guys,
1: the whole neighborhood can hear you. What's going on? Your son is grounded. That's what's going on. What? You heard me. You are grounded for one month, Edward. A month? Just for being late? That and your snotty attitude. Mom, say something. I want both of you to just calm down. Oh, sure. Take his side. (laughs) Edward, you messed up, and you're gonna have to suffer the consequences. Oh, man, all you ever do is nag me, criticize me, and put me down. Well, I'm sick and tired of it, Dad, and I'm not gonna take it anymore. Oh, yes, you are. You may not like it, but you're going to have to take it. Oh, no, I don't. Excuse me? I'm moving out. Edward, you don't mean that. Oh, yes, I do. Edward, you are not going anywhere. Oh, yes, I am. I can't wait to get out of this prison.
0: Technology is not always my best friend. But the truth is, how many of us can relate to that encounter right there on that TV show? Show of hands, come on. Can we be real a little bit? I can remember the time that I showed up late as a kid and my mom and dad lit me up. And then the other times, there were times that my parents didn't know where I was at. And I'd show up and, because they were working and different things. But I can remember... Always replaying in my mind these kind of TV show episodes of, oh, I'm going to be late. What's going to happen? Or the one time I was at a bowling alley and I was with my buddies and we just figured out that we could buy cigarettes in the vending machine and we were trying things out and then my brother shows up and catches me and I have to go and tell mom, mom, because I've already replayed in my mind exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to get home. My brother's going to tell. I'm going to get grounded. So I figured the best thing I could do was just to fess up in front of my mom. Mom! Before Chris gets to you, I, I, I was smoking and dealing with the consequences that way. See, what I'm trying to get at is, we look at this, this kind of clip right here, and it brings back memories of what we went through, but it also sets into the moment what our reactions would be at the moment we're living But what I want to look at this morning is the commandment, what we are called to do. You see, scriptures tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 through 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those words are hard to do sometimes. Those words are difficult. But even worse, sometimes parents, we, we go in and we think that, that we have to, to, to do a hard job of raising our kids to get them in the right place. But then I'm reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, it says, Fathers, or I'm just going to go ahead and put it in there too. Mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up with discipline and instruction of the Lord. Those words are hard to do when we're trying to raise up a new generation to have standards and models, but to be better than we were. I don't know about you. I looked at my wife when we got married before we had kids, and I said, honey, I don't want my kids to be like me. I want them to be better than me. How can we work out a procedural method So that we could get them to be that. And it's a struggle. You see, there are great things that we've all heard in our lives. And those great things are are, are truths that we hold on to. And that we would honestly, if we heard them today, we would say, amen, yes, that's how I want to live my life. But the struggle is the reality of of trying to apply every word that we're supposed to do. When the Bible says do not sin and and walk accordingly, this flesh right here is a fight constantly because it wants to sin. But I have to put the Spirit into me and say I'm going to be led by the Spirit and not by this horrible flesh of mine. You have to do the same thing every single day and that flesh sometimes, when we're trying to articulate the proper ways of doing things to people around us, It doesn't always come out the way we want to. So often, we find that we create more messes. You want to see a great example? You think about King David. You know anything about King David? If you've been reading your Bible plan, you probably said, what? I didn't ever realize that happened. Because inside of the Word, there's some really weird stuff that occurs that makes you go, what? I thought the Bible was all about roses. But when I've read the Word, it's all about reality. You see, inside the text, we see David, he's the father of about 19 different kids. And no, he did not get his model from the Duggars or the Bates that you would watch on TV today. He was the ultimate 19 kids and not coming. But here's the truth. He had 19 kids from different mamas. And they all had struggles. And if you get into 2 Samuel chapter 13, you'll find an encounter of one of his sons having a twisted thinking process hitting him up. His son named Amnon had this desire for his half-sister Tamar, and he desired to be with her physically and, emo- and not emotionally. Because he saw that she was good. And his plan was one of, how do I make this happen? And so he listened to his buddy. He says, hey, just pretend that you're sick. And, th- and then just go hit your dad up and, and, and send a message saying, dad, I'm sick. Can you have my sister come and bring me her fav- my favorite soup she makes? And so King David does so because he loves his kids. Gets her in there, they shut the door, and things that are not suitable for TV happen. And then afterwards, it says that he despised, he hated his sister. But there was something interesting that happened. You see, I said a great example. I didn't tell you what kind of example it was supposed to be. Let me tell you, King David, a man after God's own heart, who loved God, who would serve God, who would do whatever God said to do, is the example that we should never follow after on his parenting systems. Why? Because even a man of God might not always be right. Because they're not always going to listen to the word of God. That's why God has to put the not suitable for television stuff inside of the Bible to get us to be awakened to the truth of what proper correction looks like. Inside of the text, after Amnon had done what he had done to his sister, what we find is that David set forth in motion the rest of his life that would cause more gray hairs than he ever realized. Because when when he found out, it wasn't good. You see, this brings me to the first point. And that is that our reactions as humanity has often been done in extremes and they are our form of correction. Can I say it a little bit? It says it on the screen. It says extremes are our our ideal form of correction. Sometimes when my kids do something wrong, what do you want to do? Yes, Sister Amy, sometimes I want to teach them what having a life is all about, whether it's long or short sometimes. Sometimes I want to go to the extremes and let my emotions take course and do something that would cause more harm to them. Because that's the flesh within me. Sometimes we want to react in our emotions. And last week, if you were here, you realized that emotions are always things that we're supposed to be our beacons to point towards God, to ask Him what we're supposed to do in each situation. And in these moments, we have to do it. We have to do it in the proper way. We have to do it in the righteous way. And inside of this what we find when David find out or found out what his son Amnon did all it says in the scripture was what King David had done, heard when King David had heard all these things he was very angry It didn't say he went and pulled Amnon and confronted about the evil, wicked things he did. It didn't say he didn't kick him out of the house. It didn't say that he he addressed it in a manner that would allow people to see what was wrong. All it says he did was he got upset. And sometimes, that's the weakest side of an extreme. You ever met people that are afraid to deal with confrontation, so what do they do? They cower back and they say nothing? What good does it truly do? Come on, talk back with me, people. Come on. What good does it do to not even speak out? It does nothing. I have emotions, and if I don't say something, sometimes it doesn't always work out right. It's like if I'm working at a, at, a, at a store and I watch my fellow coworker going over there and stealing money out of the drawer. But because I don't want to deal with confrontation, they keep doing it. And then eventually somebody accuses me of doing the wrong thing. When I was the one that didn't do anything. What good does it do? So often what we realize is inaction is the worst extreme of them all. Because what we read according to the text, David's inaction, action, even though he was angry, was what his son wanted. Amnon was hoping to be the son that, that was able to get away with it. So what did he do? He locked himself into his room. He kind of hid himself away from his dad, waiting for the consequences. But I'm sure he was like, let's just hope the door doesn't open. And then after a while, the door didn't open and... He got a little relaxed. But like I said, sin begets more sin, right? So what happens? Absalom, Tamar's full brother, hears about what happens and he gets a little upset. His anger is a little bit more than than just sitting back and thinking, okay, what are you going to do, dad? He really despises his brother. So he does what he thinks is right. He thinks that, that if he just sits back and waits for the proper moment, he can get what he needs to get done. You see, David's inaction led to Absalom's raising of his intentions. Absalom... He planned it out accordingly. He said, I want to have a feast with all my family. This is all in 2 Samuel chapter 13. He says, I want to have a feast with all the family. But David, he says, no, that's not good to have all of us in one place at all one time. so Absalom said, okay, you don't have to come, but just send Amnon to me. And let me see what he's got going on. And, and it took some coaxing inside of, of, of Absalom to get David to send Amnon. And when, when he showed up, the scripture says that Amnon, or Absalom had told his servants when he shows up, just kill him. And that's exactly what they did. And David didn't understand that his failure of correction would be the thing that would cause more harm and more difficulty inside of their lives. I need to tell somebody the truth. That we need to grasp that what David lacked in correction is the proper thing that we need to put forth in our life. We need to do the right thing. We need to actually be able to be vocal and articulate words that will actually bring forth the truth and hopefully life in some people around us. Because we cannot let somebody else's sin start becoming the beginning process of another sin. But we have to be the stopgap in between it that stops anything further. Could you imagine what would have happened if David would have reprimanded Amnon and dealt with the situation in a proper manner? Absalom never would have any steam behind him. But David didn't learn from it. He just kept doing the same old, same old. And this is the problem that occurs. Because so often the world wants to think that correction and love, it's perceived as weak. But it truly is not. See, Absalom thought that David was weak because he loved his kids. That was his Achilles heel. He loved them so much so that he didn't want to cause any harm in their life. So when, when, when Amnon didn't get punished and Absalom had his, son, his brother killed, what did David do? He mourned. He mourned over Amnon and Absalom feared out and, fl- and, and ran off and did what Amnon did and hit off hoping that his dad wouldn't do anything. Because his dad was weak because he loved them too much. Kind of like that, that that TV show we watched this morning, where the son Eddie thought his dad was being too strong for the consequences of staying out too late. We have the extremes that come through because we don't articulate the truth that needs to come through. That the correction and love is not performing or showing weakness, but it's actually showing strength. But it has to be done in the proper way and the context. Because what we have to really grasp a hold of is that perfect love will cast out all fear. And if perfect love is casting out all fear, it's going to cast out all sin as well. See, that's what Jesus did. He was casting out the love when he came on the world. But David loved his son, and David didn't want to give the punishment of the crimes committed because David loved them, but he was forgetting something. I I honestly imagine as I read through this story that David is processing this according to how he lived his life. You know, where, where, where he was running around scared to death, and he was just like, God will protect me. God will do all things. Well, yes, God will do all things. But when Bathsheba was up on, the bath, on her rooftop taking a bath and David was out, out, not out with his army and he was looking down saying, mm-hmm, she looks good. And he did what he did. And the prophet came up and called him out for it. And David's heart melted. And God forgave him. I could imagine that he thought that's what was going to happen with Amnon. What was going to happen with Absalom. That they would go under, They would understand that they were called out. They were known. It was all open for everybody to see. And that their hearts would turn to God. But that's not how it works. That's the few. That's the difficult process. Because a man after God's own heart is one that wants to seek God more than anything else. But we have a generation that does not want to hear who God is. They don't want to know who God is. They don't want to know when God is. They don't want to know when he's coming back. They don't care. But instead, what they want is their life and their life all abundantly and how they can measure it out. That's what these two brothers, it symbolize in our lives. How we treat one another. And what I have to say this morning is we have to move beyond this struggle of words. We have to move beyond the correction that has to occur. Because if it doesn't occur, everything's going to fall apart. Not talking those that are older and don't have kids. I'm not talking about those that are grandparents. I'm talking everyone in this church this morning. Correction is not just with our offspring. It's with those around us that we have to address issues. And we live in a world that does not want to hear it. They don't want to hear like what 2 Corinthians says where it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, that's the wrong one. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power has made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast most gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The world doesn't want to hear that when we are weak, he is made strong. The world doesn't want to hear that, that in our messes, he keeps us whole. I praise God every single day that when I let this flesh eventually win out sometimes that he's still good and awesome and his grace is sufficient for everything. You see what I'm trying to get at church is that as we start walking closer to God we have to start taking the counsel that he gives to us because what he wants us to understand is truly what Hebrews 12 6 says for the Lord disciplines The ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Uh Uh-oh. That's you. He loves you, but he will discipline you. He chastises you because he received you. Those words are hard. They're harsh when you really get down into the nitty-gritty. Because we're called to love everyone. But how do we learn to love? It's through him who reproofs us. You see the word discipline inside of Hebrews 12? It's plato, which is only used 13 times in all of scripture. And its meaning is to instruct or teach. Chastising is t- it's, it's teaching. Discipline is teaching and making people get growing greater than where they're at. And we need a generation that will grow beyond where they're at and start seeking after new knowledges and new truths. And that's what the Lord is trying to get us to become aware of. But how do we get that sometimes? How do we learn? And this is where the next part hurts. Because the word chastised comes from mastigo And it means to scourge or flog. If you ever been hit, you got a switch, you got a belt, all those things. We all know that, the, that it says, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? That's that old age old saying. It's the same thing that's true with God's commandment for all of us. But I'm reminded what he, or what Psalms 23 says. When he's talking about the good shepherd and that we shall not want, it says his rod and his staff they comfort me. Let me tell you, if you ever watched a shepherd with a rod and a staff, you think that they're decorative. Till so you see what they do with them, the rod has got a hook on the end of it and it pulls them back. The staff, or or the the, the staff does the rod. He uses that to whack the back end of the sheep to knock it some sense into it. No, I'm, I'm being serious, because sheep were dumb. And what the shepherd would do sometimes, if it's a really dumb sheep, he'll use that rod and break its legs so the sheep can't walk. I know, Pete is not going to like this at all. He breaks the legs so it can't walk. But then the shepherd does something that you wouldn't imagine. He takes that sheep up, puts it on its shoulders and carries it until it heals up and talks to it and loves on it and teaches it to hear his voice. You see, the correction sometimes that we give, we only want to do just the paleto kind of instruction where we just teach, but we don't realize sometimes we have to get to the core effect of what's going on. And if we don't do that, We're letting sin beget sin, beget sin, beget sin. sin. You want to see why the world is like it is today? Because sin begets sin, begets sin, begets sin. And it keeps begetting more. And it's a snowball. But it's time for the church to do something. It's time for us to quit looking like a, a sitcom and start looking at our families and saying, how can I raise up the next generation to be better than me? How can I raise this next generation that's coming into the door, even if they're not your grandkids, to allow them to see God is God and we are not, and he loves them. How do we do that? We do that with love. We do that with compassion. Because what we have to really understand is that correction in in love will change lives. If you've ever been in my office, what you will find in there is a little janky interior part of a frame of a picture frame with a printed off paper with a pieces of, with words on it, and this is my motto for how I interact with everyone. You ready for it? Got your pens ready? The great theologian Teddy Roosevelt said these words. No, he wasn't a theologian if you don't know. He was a president of the United States. But it said, people don't care what you know. They don't care how much you know, what you know, why you know it, and why they should know it. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Those words are so transformational in everything we do. If we would realize that, that, that I might know somebody walking over here in sin. And if I go over there and just say, hey, brother, you're just in sin. You need to get out of it. It's not going to do nothing good for them at all. All it's going to do is cause more struggle. You just hate me. No, I don't hate you. You're just evil because you're calling me up. Because the Bible says judge not because you. That's not what the word says. What I've learned is when I get on to people's level and I see the struggle and what Jesus did in all of his ministry who I try to example myself after, he would get down at people's level and say, hey, I see what you're dealing with. I know you're hurting. Let me show you a better way. That's what our model should be with our homes. That's what our model should be in the church. That's what our model should be in all that we do. And it might look like a sitcom. And people are not always going to accept it. But we have to check ourselves. What is our intention? What is it that brings us our desires? Because this heart, or the heart, that desires to see better for the next generation will be how we seek to do or bring proper correction in all of the lives that were around. See, God's heart was restoration, rest- 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 if I could speak this morning. And that's why he came on this earth for 33 years in the lowest form of a baby to pay our price. He didn't just spend 33 years going, uh-huh, I'm the great judge said he knew humanity. He got on to their level, and he sought them, and he loved them through their every deal, or every struggle, and he wanted to teach them the truth. And that's why 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus. If it was just his words right there, those are going to be powerful. It's even greater that he is God among us. But what we have to truly understand is, that we have to get people to realize through our love that they need this thing within us to show them the proper way. If you'll stand with me this morning. I've got to bring it back to Eddie. Not Eddie, our youth pastor. Eddie on the TV screen. Growing up with Eddie, I watched all of his struggles Better yet, I watched Carl get more gray hairs out of their neighbor, Steve Urkel. But one thing I saw within this TV show was they always had the proper words and the proper ideas that hit right in the right moments. Can I just be real? That's not going to happen for you. Not unless you're doing the prayer, Lord, give me the words to speak and touch the rest of my mouth and let it not say the words that'll hurt. Lord, give me the words to love these people and let me give them the truth and the knowledge through the love as I bring the proper correction in them. See, Eddie, he he thought he was all right. He thought he had the world come back. He says, hey, okay, Dad, I don't have to listen to your rules. I'm gonna move out. So he goes and moves out with Steve Urkel. If you ever watch the show, you'll know how that turns out. He moved out of the house with no money. Couldn't really get food. Better yet, the apartment that him and Steve Urkel could afford, it had this thing hit hit the apartment about every hour. It was an L train that went through the middle of Chicago, and every time it came through, their roof looked like it was going to fall in. He was living the dream. But it was when Carl shows up with a proper correction in love that we see the transformation happen. It made Eddie realize that I would be better to be back in my father's house than I am here. I might have to deal with some rules. I might have to deal with some regulations, but it's better. Let me tell you right now, some of us have been living our life thinking that it was better in our house. But we have to realize it's better in the Father's house. It's like the prodigal son. He's got all the money he's spending away and squandled it every which way he could go. He thought he had it all until he had nothing. And then one day he had this thought it's better that I would be a servant in that my Father's house. Then I know I'd have food that's not pig slop. Then I'd have a bathroom that's not got leaves for toilet paper. I'm just adding that in there, it's not in the scripture. He thought it would be better for me just to put myself in the lowest standard, just to be the lowest of the lowest of the lowest in my father's house. We have to get to that same point in our lives. We all have our prodigal moments where we think that we know it all. But it's in God's proper correction that he lets us mess up. But he promises that his righteous right hand, though we might fall, will lift us back up again. It's in those moments that he says, I loved you enough that I'm setting forth the proper example of how to teach you the ways in which you should go. To show you the proper ways to have your heart aligned with me. To show you the proper words to say. To show you how to love your neighbor. And he did it all with a scripture we can hold on to every single day. And I know you all know it. It says, for, the lo- uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that we might be saved through him. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you've been through, but I want to ask every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Have you been living your life not really surrendered to the Father and you know you need to make Him the Lord of your life this morning? You're saying, I don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what this is in my heart that's telling me that I need to change something. If that's you this morning and you want to make Him Lord of your life, raise your hand this morning. got one hand, two hands. Anyone else this morning? Is that you online this morning? Because what we're going to do in a moment is that we're going to say a prayer. This prayer means absolutely nothing if it's not truly from the inside of your heart that says, God, I don't know what it is stirring within me, but I got to get right. I need your correction in my life by surrendering all I have to you. It means nothing unless you do that. So if you'll say with me this morning, dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I surrender all. Lord, I need your correction. And I need your love. Touch me this morning. And be with me. Be the Lord of my life. Be the punishment that I could not hold on to. As you died on the cross. And you were raised from the dead. To give me hope. And to give me a new life. So today, Lord, I give it all to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just give a round of applause this morning for those? Here's the thing that I got to tell you for those. Today is the beginning. Get ready. The enemy's going to attack. Your thoughts are going to go wild. But if you can get rooted in his word, if you can get rooted with a body of believers, you will not falter. But his righteous right hand will lead you accordingly. But I have to ask the rest of us, where have we been at when we need to give the right words? Are we willing to speak up? Or are we willing just to be quiet? Are we willing to speak up? Or are we willing to yell out? You see, what I want to encourage every single one of us this morning is, before we speak, before we bring reproof, we need him within us to give us the words. We need to start saying, okay, Lord, it's, my emotions are red hot boiled. Lord, touch me this morning and bless the words that come out and let it be what you need. I want to encourage everyone this morning. You need him more than you'd ever understand. Otherwise, your TV life is going to look like it's going to come from somebody writing it for ABC or CBS or whatever nation TV broadcast we have but it's time for us to step forward. It's time for us to step up and receive the proper correction and be the vessel for the rest of us. So Lord, today, Lord, I praise for you what you've done to us this morning, Lord. I thank you for the word. I thank you for your account. I thank you that you gave us a word that's not suitable for TV to show us that even in our messes, God, we can still learn a great deal of who we are and become better. So, Lord, I ask you to empower and encourage every single person in this room, those that are watching on the live stream, those that might even listen to the podcast later this week. God, touch them. Move upon their lives and give them the proper examples so that they would have hope and encouragement all the days of their life. But, Lord, let us hold on to the fact that you gave your only begotten Son to give us that hope, to give us the ability to have proper correction, to give us the example of how we are to walk every single day. So, Lord, I ask you to touch this whole body of believers. Let us love you with everything that we have, with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And then, Lord, let us just go through this world and start loving one person at a time, showing them your love and your passion and your difference and your correction. God, be with us, Lord. Let us see the next generation greater than us. Let us see those that are around us be greater than us and be with us all, Lord. In Jesus' name and the church said, go and love your neighbor as yourself and I'll see you all soon.